Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 63, Back to Italy. So, partly due to our efforts in keeping the whole war up to date and going around the Mediterranean to make sure that we have gotten to at least 212 BC in all theatres of the war, and my recent hiatus from podcasting due to university work, we haven't been in Italy since episode 51, the Battle of Rome. This episode was released back in August 2013, a whole 11 months ago. We really have some catching up to do, but before we carry on with the narrative, it is worth recapping just where we are in the war in Italy. Even if you are catching up on the show and having a binge listen, we haven't been there for a whole 12 episodes. In Italy, we are nearing the end of 211. We've spent the past few years of the narrative going around southern Italy as Hannibal tried to turn various cities to the Carthaginian side, and the Romans tried keeping their cities loyal. Two particular focuses of attention were the cities of Capua and Tarentum. Capua was the most important in the rich region of Campania, while Tarentum was a port on the southern coast, which could possibly allow reinforcements to support the Carthaginian war effort. Capua had decided to join the Carthaginians, following their hammering of the Romans at Cannae. Tarentum had also fallen, but the Romans still held on to the citadel. Things were poised for the war to go one way or another. This was when the Romans began to move against Capua. The city was placed under siege, and Hannibal was unable to save the city. He gambled by attacking Rome, hoping to spark a reaction, but the Romans kept the city surrounded, and it soon fell. Failing to take Rome, and losing Capua, was a huge blow to Hannibal's war effort. It was a hint that things would finally begin to favour the Romans in the Italian theatre. This is where we left things. First, we turn our attention towards Tarentum and Sicily. You see the Romans were hiding in the citadel of this great port city, while the Carthaginians controlled the surrounding town, or, if you were to liken it to Sunspear, the Carthaginians controlled the Shadow City. The Roman fleet was a menace to the town, stopping the food shipments into the city while supplying the citadel. To counter this, the Carthaginian fleet was moved to Tarentum from Sicily. This plan kinda worked, But then again, it didn't. The Carthaginian fleet was able to keep the local ports open, bringing food into the towns. This was good. But it wasn't enough to stop the Roman fleet performing its most important function, keeping the citadel at Tarentum connected to the outside world and supplied with food. This was bad. Then, there was the fact that the sailors who made up the fleet, and who were now stationed at Tarentum, were eating more food than was coming in through the harbours they were keeping open. This was very bad, and also quite funny, and rather hilarious. As we are now at the end of the year, it's time for the shuffling of political officers. As we left things, two consuls, Fulvius and Sulpicius, were in Campania, Valerius had command in Greece, Marcellus was in Sicily, and, in a story we will cover in the future, a younger Scipio Africanus had just set out for Spain. This is where we left things in late 211. Marcellus returned from Sicily, and celebrated an ovation, 
while Sulpicius went to take control of the Greek theatre from Valerius, something we covered in the last episode. Fulvius travelled to Rome to oversee the elections for 210. This is quite a peculiar story and sounds very much like reminiscing about the good old times when men were men and youths respected their elders. So, basically, this story seems embellished. But it is an interesting story, so I'll tell it anyway. Those who want to read the original to see why I'm so suspicious can find it in Livy, Book 26, Chapter 22. Fulvius returned to Rome and began the elections. The first century to vote was the century of the younger members of the Volturia tribe, who elected Titus Manlius Torquatus and Titus Octocilius, whom you'll remember had been a commander of the fleet. At this point, Torquatus asked to speak to the sentry, and begged them to change their minds. He couldn't see properly, and he couldn't hear properly. He would be of no use in battle. They should choose someone more suited to the task. The sentry refused to change its mind. They wanted to elect him and Octocilius. To paraphrase Torquatus, his response was, Ha ha, yes, this is all very funny, but seriously... Don't elect me. Choose someone else. Anyone else. At this point, the sentry listened, and so asked the older members of the tribe who they should vote for. The members of the sentry discussed who would be good for the job, and they decided upon three possible candidates. Fabius, the famous dictator, Marcellus, the recently triumphal general in Sicily, and Valerius, the recently triumphal general in Greece. The seniors gave these names to the youths to vote, and Marcellus and Valerius were elected to the consulship. You may at this point be feeling bad for Otacilius, the two-time praetor who had missed out on the consulship thanks to the intervention of Torquatus. But don't worry, word arrived from Sicily that he was dead. The Romans waited for Valerius to return from Greece before doing anything, and once he had, they decided who would command what in 210. Sulpicius, in Greece, dismissed his land legions, keeping only the naval troops. This is a likely reason for why the Aetolians struggled in the First Macedonian War. Fulvius was to continue his command in Apulia for another year. Marcellus was to go to Sicily to fight the war there with the praetor Cincius, who would command the survivors of Cannae. The praetor Volso would command the troops in Sardinia, and Valerius would command the operations in Italy against Hannibal. This division of command caused some problems. You see, Sicilians had come to Rome to complain about Marcellus, and they had not been allowed to see the Senate before Valerius returned from Greece. But now Marcellus held command over them, they would be unlikely to speak against him. So Marcellus asked to switch commands with Valerius, which was agreed in a private exchange. So Valerius was now commanding Sicily, while Marcellus would take charge against Hannibal. Rather than leave a loose end, I'll quickly mention that these complaints were eventually dismissed, and Marcellus's actions in taking Syracuse were ratified by the Senate. An early issue for the Romans was just how they were going to raise money. The people had been taxed dry, so they were furious when the Senate asked for more money. There was a lot of talking, and it was turning dark. Finally, Valerius made a suggestion. 
he said that it was no surprise that the people were unhappy, and the only way to keep them calm would be for the senators to make an even bigger contribution, and should give away almost all of their gold, silver, and bronze. The tactic worked. The next day, the senators raced to be the first to hand over all their wealth to the state, and the people then followed without complaint. The first incident of note in 210 was conflict over Sapalia, a town in Apulia which was controlled by two men, Dacius and Blatius, on behalf of Hannibal and the Carthaginians. Dacius was favourable towards Hannibal, but Blatius preferred the Romans. He mentioned to Dacius that they should betray the town to the Romans. Dacius was upset by this and told Hannibal of just what Blatius was doing. Hannibal didn't believe that such a plot was real. It would be too bold, and so he did nothing. Blatius kept pressing the issue, and so persuaded Dacius that they should betray the city to Marcellus, along with the 500 Numidian horsemen who were garrisoning the town. Even though they were inside a town, and so in an area which did not suit cavalry at all, the Numidians resisted when the Salapians tried to take the town. The result was two big positives for the Romans, and two corresponding negatives for the Carthaginians. The first of these, obviously, was that Salapia was now Roman, but this was comparatively minor. The real event here was the loss of 500 Numidian cavalry. From this point in the conflict, the Romans would begin to have the better cavalry, which had been Hannibal's greatest advantage. This was yet another example of the turning tide. Meanwhile, things continued to be stuck at Tarentum. The Romans put a few ships together to try and get supplies into the citadel, though they ran into some Tarentine ships en route. A battle broke out, the Romans did not do well in this, losing their flagship before the rest of the fleet broke apart. They were unable to supply the citadel, but things took a different turn in the city. While this was going on, the Tarentine garrison had sent out 4,000 troops to go foraging, and the commander of the citadel took advantage of this to send out 2,500 of his own to thwart them. This they did, turning the defeat into a sort of stalemate, with neither side being able to supply itself, and neither side being in a position which it wanted to be in. As this takes the narrative to the end of Book 26 of Livy, it is a convenient place to bring to an end today's episode. Yes, I know it's a short episode, but I can promise you that the next one will be longer. If you want to support the show, please leave an iTunes review. It is one of the best ways of getting word of the show out to others. If you want to stay in touch with up-to-date information, please check out the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can also check out our social media twitter.com forward slash the history of pod and facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast don't forget to check out historypodcasters.com your one-stop shop for all your history podcasting needs i'll see you in two weeks when we see just what marcellus does after taking salapia <laughs>